If you guys are into shooting the copper bullets, man, I got a great deal for you. We have partnered with Barnes Bullets. They are world famous, known for that Vortex rifle, the deadliest, most accurate hunting loads on the planet. I like this company, guys, because I have a personal connection to these guys. On uh, Down in central Utah, uh, my dad's got this ranch, and uh, on the way to the ranch, you drive past this uh, Barnes Bullets factory, and it's, it's a really cool building just kind of out in the middle of nowhere. So I know them well. These all-copper bullets provide destructive power, double diameter expansion, maximum weight retention, and devastating energy transfer, all with excellent accuracy. It's a great choice for Western big game, game hunters and shooters everywhere. So check them out at BarnesBullets.com and let me know what you guys think. I appreciate it. You've heard my Silencer Central ads, I'm sure. And I don't know if you have reached out and contacted them yet. If you're interested in a silencer, though, man, this is the way to go. Silencer Central from the start to finish, because it's quite the process. If you've never gotten a suppressor for one of your rifles, you've got to go through and do the ATF paperwork and the background checks and all that kind of stuff. But the cool part is, is Silencer Central takes care of it all. It's a several-month process. And so what's cool about it is if you don't want to drop all that money right at the top, uh, end of this whole process, you can just get a hold of them and you can do like a payment plan while they're taking care of all the paperwork on the back end. I have the Banish 30 uh, and this thing is awesome. I've never used one of these before so I'm like learning as as I go along but what I, what I was getting at is from start to finish, Silencer Central has been some of the most amazing people I've ever worked with through the process. They treated me like I was family and I really appreciated it. You guys should check them out and you can call them at 866-891-4494 or check it out at silencercentral.com it will be worth your time i promise there exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away and we won't stand for it those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, your host, coming at you from the Broken Time studio right here in the Heron, Montana, Clark Fork, Idaho area. I like to say both because I, I still have a lot of attachment to uh, the, the glorious state of Idaho. So I say that. And we are brought to you by Eastman's Hunting Journal. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. Um, I've got a good one for you this week. The... Um, cool conversation uh that is about to take place is the second time i've had my pal zach here on the show uh if you remember i don't know if it was one or two years ago zach uh but was it one okay one year ago i had zach hansen who is the um the author of a great book called turning feral and 
I don't remember how I ended up with this book, but I ended up with this book and I, I like blew through it in, in no time. And, you know, sometimes, you know how sometimes you get a book and it takes you forever to read because it's good, but it's not like great kind of thing. Uh, this was one of those books that I couldn't put down. And so I, and I have a thing for, you know, if I, if I find some, uh, like an up and coming musician that I like to follow, or or an author I like to follow. Uh, I like to get him on the show and talk to him. And uh, it's no different here. Zach has uh, become a friend now, and uh, he has been uh, been somebody who has been inspiring, especially for a lot of people that are living maybe a life that they don't want to live and pursue, and feel like their passion or or maybe their calling is somewhere a little bit more wild, more remote, more self-reliant, um, living off the land kind of oriented. Um, he's somebody great to be following on, on, uh, Instagram, which is at let me die learning. Uh, and this book would be invaluable to you. So all that, that was a mouthful. Zach, thanks for coming back on the show, man. Good to see you, man. Yeah, you as well. And I know people probably aren't watching the video, but I'm seeing your face too. So it's good to see you and, uh, not in a trailer and in your new dig over in Montana. Yeah. Yeah, man. I we have like official four walls kind of thing. No, no more uh rocking fifth wheel when the wind blows. <laughs> pretty That's nice. Awesome. Well, thanks for the intro too. That was uh a, a glowing review. So it's much appreciated. No, I mean it, man. I I envy people. I, I have been working on a book for going on three years because I can't and I, I want to pick your brain a little bit tonight, but I can't figure out I, I'm so unsatisfied with things, so I go back and change them a million times, and I'm like, like I've got today. The solution for that. Okay, good. We're we're going to talk about that, but before we uh, discuss the hopelessness of my writing career, let's talk about your writing career real quick and bring everybody back up to speed. With uh, tell tell us uh, for for anybody that didn't hear the first episode that uh, we recorded last, I think it was last fall, wasn't it? We we're just yeah, going well, into winter last year. One, yeah. So bring us up to speed uh, with. Your book, Turning Feral, um, how it's gone, and uh, you know why people should read it. Yeah, well, first and foremost, again, thanks for having me on. And then second, it's gone w- way better than I expected. So when we last talked, the book had just been released. It came out, I think, October of last year. Um, and I had written the book prior to that, which you know, sold over three or four years, the whopping like 90 copies. It was all about artificial intelligence. So I had zero expectations going into Turning Feral being released. I just liked to write and wanted to get the story out there. Um, But it's gone well. I have somehow, by some miracle, been able to maintain a spot in the top 10 most days of the best sellers in the hunting category on Amazon up with no kidding. People I really, yeah. With people I look up to like, you know, Cam Haynes is always up there. Steve Ranella, other great writers. Um, you know, I fall in and out. Let's just be clear, but on any given week, I'm usually in the top 20 and that's been really awesome. And the, the kind of continued feedback on the book has been, you know, really motivating for me to continue writing and to kind of continue you know, promoting this lifestyle of pseudo off grid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You are pseudo off grid, man. You're, Ed, so for, for those of you listening, he's in Atlanta, Idaho, uh, which is a pretty remote little spot tucked way back up on, in, in the mountains and yeah. uh, go ahead. What? No, as I say, yeah, yeah, it's definitely one of those. I think 
I might have totally made this up just to make it sound better, but I did read somewhere that Atlanta is the most remote livable com- or livable community accessible by road in the lower 48. Oh, really? That doesn't yeah. surprise me, actually. Uh, when I think about where it's at, uh, and man, you guys have some winners. I think one of the reasons to kind of follow up what, what you were talking about with Turning Feral and the success you've had with it, I think that one of the key factors with that is there's a lot of people out there that could relate to the story that you tell. And and the story in that book, kind of like the the essence of that book, for those of you listening, is like going from this, you know, you were like this high-tech career executive type that felt this calling to, to pursue a life uh, living very close to the land and off grid and being a hunter and a trapper. And, you know, you went from like, weren't you living in like the, the Southeast somewhere like Memphis or I, I can't remember exactly where, but bumfuck Louisiana, <laughs> bumfuck Louisiana to, uh, you know, all of a sudden giving up that, giving up that tech type career and moving more into, you know, this, this, where you live now in Atlanta, Idaho. And, and, um, I, I think that when you think about that whole concept, there's a lot of people that are listening to this that are like, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could give up this life and trade it for that life because I feel like it's my my primal calling and that's that's what I want to do. So for those that are listening that are thinking that as we're talking about it, can you give us like a snapshot of A, how you do it and and B, what maybe some of your surprises were you know, what's your expectations versus what, what surprised you about changing your lifestyle like that? Yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, for anybody listening who has that itch, like there are opportunities to scratch it without having to do what I did or what Jim's done and rip up everybody in your life and move to the middle of nowhere. Um, if you can do it, that's fantastic. But for me and for those listening who haven't read the book, I was, as Jim mentioned, a career person that worked mostly in Silicon Valley. I had been in and out of a bunch of different big companies, and I just hated it. You know, I had attained the white picket fence life that I had been coached to desire my entire life. And I kind of felt like the dog who chases the parked car when he catches up to it. He doesn't know what to do with it. Um, and that's when I started to get that itch for like, what is life about? What is more meaningful to us? Um, which kind of led me a little outdoors slowly. Uh, and then I, I think we talked about it on the last podcast, but I had a catalytic event in my life, which was an unexpected divorce, which is when I was able to rip up everything yeah. and you know just went all in. But I had never done anything hunting related in my life. I grew up in the Southeast. It was always on the periphery, but it was not something I ever participated in. And I think you know, with yourself, the campaigns of the world, Steve Ranella's that are motivating people to try hunting who might not have been exposed to it. Like there is a whole very big population of people who are hunt curious, as I like to say it. And I think you can, that's start a to good explore. way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. The hunt curious thing. Yeah. It's, it's a one that I've coined a little bit. It, it sounds a little off, but you know, yeah, no, no, I, I like that. I like, I, I might, I might plagiarize that whole phrase, the hunt curious out there. And I know there's, there's a lot of folks out there and, you know, we can, you can always go down this rabbit hole of, well, 
you know, we don't want to, we don't want to trigger more of the hunt curious to make our woods more crowded and blah, blah, blah. But the, at the end of the day, the way I see it is when you look at hunting and trapping as, as a whole and, um, not as a community, like, like hunting and trapping as a lifestyle and, and people see that from the outside looking in, we, we get, we get people that are kind of caging themselves into these, these, uh, buckets of belief systems if you will and so you've got your anti-hunter trapper slash types you've got your non-hunter that is made up of people that are maybe on the fence of becoming an anti-hunter versus those who are on the fence of becoming a hunter and then those in between and so that's like categorized and then you have your hunters and trappers out there and the thing is is when when you have these uh buckets of belief again i'm making up a, a phrase um you have to you have to take into consideration you know, as a nation and as a society, we we are stakeholders in our own future. And so the more people that we have, as annoying as it could be sometimes with, with crowded woods, and I don't know, I, I'm going to piss a lot of people off by saying this, but the woods aren't, I, I hunt a lot of places that you can get away from people. Like people need to quit blaming I'm not going to go down this soapbox because I, I get enough hate mail, man, but, but there are ways to get away from crowds. So that aside, um, it, it just, uh, it, it's super important to reach out and touch people that were maybe in your position five, six, seven years ago. And, yep. and uh, you know, there, there was like this hunt curious mentality in their mind and, and they want to maybe experience some of this thing, whether they fully immerse themselves in it, like you have, uh, like you went full on into it, man. Like uh, you're out there trapping wolves. You're out there hunting. You're out there um, living in Atlanta, Idaho, and uh, you know, which is probably about the size of a city block of Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> yep. You know, and so it's this major life change. And I think that, like you said, um, I, I guess maybe because this is top of mind from some other episodes I've recorded recently, but you mentioned like Cam Haynes and Steve Ranella and these guys that that promote hunting in that, in that kind of way. And I, I suppose in a way I, I do the same thing. Um, I think that overall, when you look at it from a shell or a, a stakeholder perspective, it's a good thing. And the, these are good voices to have for us and good advocates for our lifestyle, because without these stakeholders and without these people that are hunt curious, we may not have a future. And so yeah. I, and I love the way that you tell the story in the book, because it's not like this, overnight shift it's like this progression of things that that took place in your life and and so relatable to so many americans especially men american men that may feel like trapped in and want to get out into uh living closer to a lifestyle that you do like tell everybody a little bit about your life now yeah um well let's see i mean Woke up this morning. I had to start a few fires in both of our wood burning stoves before the kids woke up cold because, you know, it's getting down into the the negatives at night. Then I went out and shoveled snow and then went and checked traps. Well, actually pulled traps today because we have to go down into town tomorrow. But, you know, pulled some traps, um, then did a bunch of chores around the house all day, really. Just everything you have to do to keep up with a home out here when it's snowing all the time and, you know, cold the dickens and then like i said after this i gotta go and pull some more traps we gotta have hop back on the sled and go back out and you know pull Tonight? more steel 
was yeah tonight oh wow because you're going to town tomorrow or whatever yeah we uh so for those listening like our family grew by another one since the last time jim and i spoke and we have another one on the way so we we have an 80 mile roughly dirt road from atlanta to just outside of boise that's the only accessible route in and out in the winter time so it's about four hours driving because you're going about 20 miles per hour you're chained up most of the time you gotta stop take chains off but we leave at three in the morning because it's a single track road and when you have two kids sleeping in the car and dogs it's so much better when they're knocked out on some dramamine so (laughs) we'll be pulling out super early tomorrow wow man that's crazy i didn't know it was an 80 mile dirt road two track trek to get out to get out to like any sort of civilization so um in like what are you trapping right now oh boy so wolf otter beaver well actually otter just closed i trapped an otter two days ago and it was right when the season closed because in idaho we have quotas for otter meaning Mm -hmm. each region has only so many otter you can take and the whole Southeast region, which is unit 39, which is where Atlanta is on the outskirts, including the Oahis down South. And you can only take a total of 15 otters from the opening of the season until the close of season. Um, and that was hit this past week, which you know makes sense. That's not a whole lot of otters, sure. but um, what else? Martin, I'm actually doing, uh, and this is probably a cause for a longer conversation, but I got a contract with national fish and wildlife out of DC for a program they call BMP on ethical trapping to trap live trap Martin and then test them for COVID. It's. Oh, I saw you post something about that. What in the world is that about? You got to, you catch a Martin live trap him. And then you you go out there and, and like test him for COVID and put a mask on him and set him free or what? Yeah. (laughs) it's like, interesting. So what do you mean? Like, whose idea was that? Yeah, it's a uh, it's an interesting one. So actually, we do dispatch them, but th- the whole idea was BMP. They do a lot of great research for trappers. Um, they're very big in the lobby for you know pro trapping, fighting against the anti trappers. But what they've done since the early '90s is funded these studies to check out the efficacy of different types of traps. So they've gone through phases of footholds on coyotes where they pay a trapper, he goes out, uses a certain type of trap, and then they dispatch the animal, but they don't keep it or the fur. So they're paid for the cost of the animal and the fur. They send the animal off to a lab. They do studies to say, hey, you know, the animal, we believe the animal, if he was released, would have been, you know, 80% recovered, 100% recovered based on the injuries sustained from the trap. Those very controlled. So yeah, yeah. For the Martin, they're testing live traps, meaning if you live trap a Martin, they want to understand what kind of damage it sustains if it's been in there for 24 hours. So that is one part of the program. That's the original intent. And so I'm going out and trapping Martin doing that. But they also, post-COVID, got a grant from the CDC to do testing of carnivore populations for COVID. And mm-hmm. so far, the past three years, the studies have been going on. They have not found any instances of COVID in carnivores. The only animal outside of deer that they've really found COVID to be in, and a lot of it, is skunks for some reason. Skunks carry No COVID. kidding. 
Yeah. The skunks carry the COVID, but but none in the none in the Pine Martin. Nope, not yet. So uh, I mean, I've got a few that I've tested so far and stuck some swabs up their nose, like I'm uh, really. Right? Just I am fascinated by this. This whole let's test them for of all things, like uh, it just it's bizarre. That's awesome yep. though that you're you're able to contract and have like this purpose to go out and if it's helping you know the future of trapping all the better and so uh yeah i love your post about it which by the way man that is a new thing since last time we spoke last time you only had a linkedin and i specifically remember uh you're like oh no i'm not gonna get an instagram or a facebook or whatever now now you've got this badass instagram going on yeah my my wife finally like it was constant pressure it was hey man get an Instagram, get an Instagram. Like, no, cause you know me. things, right? Cause you know, like, like you came out of this technology world. So like you had this leeriness towards social media. Yeah. Yeah. I've been on some of the teams that started with like the like functionality and it's in the book a little bit, but there was like some lingering guilt just based on, you know, being a part of that whole scene. And, you know, it's a catch 22. It's almost, I have fully relented and understand that to, whether it's sell books or whether it's to just get information out there for other folks like me who are adult onset hunt curious people, it, you know, yeah. it's a it's a great medium for it if you can do it in a controlled way. So my wife pretty much handles pretty much all of the the Instagram for the most part um, with my input. So it's kind of fun. So you guys listening, man, uh, yeah, you, you gotta you gotta jump on there and give them some love. Cause he's brand new. He's newer to Instagram than I am. And I, I thought I did I, like, I don't know what I'm doing on social media, man. <laughs> so, uh, but, but yeah, let's, uh, I, I think that if you, uh, oh, that's what I was saying. If you're listening to this and you've got an Instagram jump on at let me die learning again, it'll be in the show notes like everybody's is and uh, give him a follow. Cause it's, there's, there's actually some really good information on, on your page. You've got like these categories lined out. I don't even know how to do that on my page. Where you've got hunting, trapping, books, feral kids, fitness. Tell me about this feral kids subject. What what is that about? That is honestly just the joy of watching our little kids. So we now have a two and a half year old and a one and a half year old, and you know, living up and here. One in more the on the way. One more on the way, and then I am doing a backflip into the urology, you know, shop to get everything snipped. Uh, yeah. but you know. The kids out here, it's just amazing. You know, I, I didn't grow up in a where I was constantly outside camping, but just to see them go on the snowmobiles, run out on the trap line with me, you know, go in the side by side, wake up every morning and wave to the big rock granite face mountain we have and say, Good morning, Mount Greylock. It's just the cutest thing in the world. And <laughs> they get I so much it. joy out of it. And I do too. And I know you're. My daughter's been just racking up this year too. I know she's quite a bit older, but you know, it's just cool. So it's just little snippets here and there of, you know, their experience of being yeah. out here. There's, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't like pinpoint something or anything that is more fulfilling than, than getting the kids involved in, you know, our passion of being out, outdoorsman and in yeah. hunting and like my entire season with the i think i said this on a recent podcast but my entire season with the exception of september was all centered around getting the girls tagged out which we didn't fully accomplish um but we they did good they they gave it a hell of an effort and they they really did a good job uh and 
it's just like there's this level of satisfaction and fulfillment that comes out of that that is unmatched in anything else like you know my my girls also do uh like one of my daughters is way into music like i am so she's in music lessons and the other one's way into dancing and and she goes to these weekly dance classes or whatever and, and that's great too but it's not like getting them out there in a in a deer blind and seeing how they understand the sound that I just made with my little Phelps grunt tube or whatever. That's why that buck just showed up. Yeah. You know, that that's why he just, he was coming in, checking it out, you know, and, and, and seeing them watching their faces when, when we get a bull elk screaming, cause we had a heck of a September, man, we had elk screaming all over the place and I never even shot one. And, uh, but uh, we just had them all over. I hear all these people. They're like, it was the worst September I've ever seen. Man, not for me. We we had elk bugling every time we went out for like two weeks straight, and just seeing their faces light up uh, when, when those elk are screaming, it's just man. I I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to give them that much time next year <laughs> because I, <laughs> I I kind of screwed up my hunting season. But at the same time, I probably will because I actually get more enjoyment out of that. You know, I've I've killed many. I, I've killed plenty of deer. Uh, I I love getting them out there and seeing them do that and so i'm really happy to hear you're you're out there doing that with your kids and uh man it's just awesome are, are you working on any new writing uh book wise always i guess is is the right answer to that um you know i went down this really deep rabbit hole with claude dallas i'm sure you've mm-hmm. heard of him you know the the, the yep. trapper who killed two Idaho fish and game officers in the, in the mid eighties and kind of became a bit of a cult hero in some regards, you know, cause he ended up escaping and then he got off in the early two thousands. But, um, that and being up in Atlanta and being around a lot of the old timers, I've become a little bit enamored with the whole outlaw mindset and not from like a poaching standpoint or a, you know, disregard the law fully like i am a letter of the law kind of guy which is why it's so interesting to me um but i've been kind of writing a little bit on a book just about how anybody whether you are a hunter or not just anybody in corporate america just living any sort of life outside of the hunting aspect could potentially apply some outlaw mentality to improve their lifestyle you know absolutely America writ large, you know, that's kind of what we were founded on and we've lost that, but there's still pockets of, you know, real outlaws that live in Atlanta or live, you know, near where you're at. And- oh, I, I was going to say Heron, Montana, brother. <laughs> yep. But it, no, it's, it's super interesting. And there's, there's such a fine line of what, what we, you know, can define as morality and, and what is right. Like Claude Dallas, you know, uh, there, there's a song. And it's kind of a cheesy song, but there's a song written about him and, and it talks about how Claude was claiming that, you know, he, he had a right, he had a right to hang meat when he lives that far from town. Right. And that was his justification for, for doing what he was doing. Cause he, he lived out in the sticks, like literally he wasn't, you know, he wasn't anywhere near town, you know, and uh, I went and visited where that was at at bull base. Oh, really? Yeah. I was down. How was that, man? I'd love to go visit that. What was that it was like? Out, it was out there. I mean, huh. it was it was interesting because, you know, I had spent most of my time in central Idaho up around near Atlanta, you know, the dirt roads, but 
that was the first time I'd really been down in the Awahis. I was archery antelope hunting. I had a day to go down there and, um, we were on their dirt road, which was very similar to Atlanta, just long winding up through the mountains and the crevices, but they're rocks. I don't know what kind of rocks they are down there, but I was afraid my 10 ply tires wouldn't quite last the trip, but I saw this <laughs> for bull basin. It said bull basin, 16 miles down towards Nevada. I was like, well, and turned off and kind of went and stomped around. I don't think I figured out right where everything was, but you know, it was out there. Like it, it is especially in winter when all of that happened. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine how difficult the access was. Such a crazy story, man. So you're writing something about that, or? Well, it started off with that intent of kind of you know falling down the Cloud Dallas rabbit hole, but it is kind of pulled back into just more of outlaw mentality writ large. And I've been reading a lot of other old trapping books. Like it goes back to a. In Glacier National Park in the early 1900s, I have a book about some old trappers there who were all considered outlaws. You know, they had just built the park systems. They started to get rangers in there. And obviously, they couldn't really patrol that much territory. And, you know, trappers weren't following the seasons because Mm -hmm. it just wasn't done their whole lives. And it just bred this mentality of, you know what they were called outlaws, but just self-sufficiency. So just a book about that and what that looks like in today's age. And does it actually Mm. exist? If it does, you know, how can we leverage that to improve our lives? I've been talking about Hoffman Boots for a very long time. You guys know that I'm a huge fan of this company. And it's not just the great products that they make. It's the story behind the company and the people that run it this generational family of shoemakers right here in North Idaho make some of the best hunting boots and pack boots and lineman boots and all your boot needs right in one place at hoffmanboots.com for us hunters I highly recommend the Explorer and I don't care if you're running in the 6 inch or the 8 inch or the 10 inch personally I, I love my 8 inch Explorers they've got the Vibram sole they are totally waterproof there's no break in period guys you can't go wrong with Hoffman boots because you get all that without breaking the bank so check them out at hoffmanboots.com and use promo code all caps lock huntsman 10 at checkout for 10% off and find out why i have been wearing my hoffman boots for years and years Don't be one of those people that have it in their mind that Savage Arms is the same firearms that your grandpa was running around with 40 years ago. It's not. Big game hunting rifles that you can count on. I love my Savage Firearms. I have got the Savage 110 Hunter, uh, and my daughter is uh, pretty happy with this 110 110 Apex Hunter XP. Um, The AccuTrigger is a really interesting little piece to this firearm, and it's a new piece of technology that uh, if you've never tried one, you should, because it'll make you more accurate. It's it's a much easier, higher quality firearm than anything else I've got out there. And I've, I've got a lot of firearms, guys. And so if you're in the market for a new hunting rifle, make sure you visit SavageArms.com, because I promise you, you're going to find something that is accurate, easy to handle, easy to use, long range, functional, just a high quality weapon that you could take to the field and have a lot of confidence that when the time comes, you've got that Savage backing you up and you're going to be notching a tag. Check it out, savagearms.com. Let them know the Western Huntsman sent you. Thanks, guys.
And there, there are people out there that would be amazing uh, subjects for like a book, you, you know, that, that live like, I could think of one when, uh, you know, actually, I don't know if he's still around. This is over 20 years ago. I was, I was still in high school when I knew this guy, but we used to go down to this area called uh, Beaver Dam, Arizona, which is just outside of St. George, Utah. Um, on the Arizona side, and it's that little corner of Arizona that that as you pass through from Utah to uh, Mesquite, Nevada, there was this dude that lived on the river, and he was legit off grid. Um, his name was Fred. I don't I don't know what his name uh, last name was. His name is Fred, but he was super legit off grid. He lived. He had this chunk of land right on the Virgin River, and like like for example, he had this this giant um. Have you seen those like stainless steel fire pits that people use? Yeah, you know they're these those big heavy suckers, and and uh, you know you'll see them on on uh, like Facebook for sale on the marketplace or whatever. Well, he had like this really oversized one, and he would do everything from lighting a fire under that to warm it up to take a bath, to um, like cooking for. Um, he had family that would come from different various places, and he'd cook for them in this giant giant pot thing <laughs> it's a dangerous thing he had this sign and uh, he hated mormons and and uh it was interesting because you know he lived kind of in in that uh, where the lds uh religion is pretty prominent right and but on on the sign on his driveway it said keep your mormon ass off my property <laughs> and he was just like me and uh my stepdad would go and visit this guy and he had all these crazy stories about killing wild boar on the on the Virgin River that lived in that basin and quail hunting. And and he would sneak into the back, uh, this little dirt road that would take you back into Utah. And that's where he'd kill deer and totally illegally. Like he didn't do that. He, he wasn't. The, I don't even know if he had a driver's license, man. He just went and did this stuff. So I guess that's a long story. And by the way. Uh, I, I I wasn't trying to be offensive to any of my Mormon friends out there. Some like uh, don't don't take that the wrong way. I am just reporting what was actual at the time, and I remember just observing he had this sign. He did not like Mormons for some reason, but uh, he didn't like a lot of people. So don't be offended. Um, there's people like that that are still out there, and and like take this lifestyle to like even a further extreme than what maybe you and I. I think you're even you even take it a little further than than I do in terms of how off grid and how remote you live. Like it's not eighty freaking miles on a two track road. I could be to Walmart in forty five minutes, man. Uh, but so it's just interesting. It would be it would be super fascinating to find people like that and like yeah. write about them and learn about their life and and kind of get their story. What say you? Yeah. And, and that's kind of where it originated from. So we have some of those folks right here in Atlanta that sound very similar to the, the guy you knew down in Arizona. And that's actually how I got down the Claude Dallas rabbit hole, because one of the families out here that have been out here, their whole family has been out here since the early 1900s. So just legacy oh, wow. born yeah. and raised here in Atlanta back when they used to have a schoolhouse and everything. But their dad was a trapper, and they were trappers. Obviously, they're a little older now, so they're not trapping anymore. They helped me out a lot, which is great. But they had complained and told me about stories of, and again, not to besmirch a 
fish and game officer of the past who passed away at the hands of Claude Dallas, but yeah, Bill yeah. Pope and his their Bill, father. Uh, say not, that again. You you cut out Bill who? Bill Pogue. So that was one oh, of the officers gotcha. who uh, who passed away, and okay. he patrolled up here in Atlanta because he actually wasn't part of the Oahis. He just went down there because he had heard about Claude, and I think he wanted to be, you know, in on that. But he patrolled up here near Atlanta, and there were a lot of old timers here who do not have favorable things to say about Bill Pogue. Again, I have no skin in the game. Uh, yeah, again, yeah. I'm just reporting what people were saying, but you know that he would do certain things on their trap lines, give them trouble, probably because they were not letter of the law. So there's that as well. But, you know, that's what got me down the path in the first place on Claude Dallas was just these stories of people who've been living out here for ages. And there's pockets of these people all over, like you said, which would be amazing. So if anybody's listening to this, who knows folks like that, who wouldn't mind or thinks that the people wouldn't mind me interviewing them, reach out to me on Instagram. I'd love to, yeah. See, and I, I'd love, I'd love to see how you take a story like that, interpret it, and interpret it into your own writing, uh, be, because because you're a great writer, man. Um, yeah, and this is coming from some. I, I've been writing since I was in high school, and I'm terrible at it, dude. Uh, so I, I'd love to see, I, I'd love to see your, uh, you know, the way you break something down and and put it in like this story format. So I second what Zach just said, guys. If 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 you know somebody that is just super unique, living off grid and kind of on the edge of the law, uh, you know, in a way to sustain themselves, to create their the 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 destiny that they see as as what belongs to them, or I don't know if I'm explaining that right, but hit up Zach let at Let Me Die Learning on Instagram. Uh, did I get that right? Yeah, at Let Me Die Learning. Um, that's weird. My extra screen just went like super blurry. Anyway, uh, beside the point, but yeah, that I'd love to see how you do that. But I, I do have a question. You, you'd mentioned when we first started recording, I told you, you know, I've been I've been working on this book, and the 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 premise of my book it's 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 a nonfiction book centered around how we protect and save the future of hunting and trapping, right? Yep. And and it's the problem that I've had, Zach, over the last few years is my perspective in my m- has changed dramatically. Uh, what I thought three years ago is way different than what I think now. And part of it has to do with this podcast and some of the better minds that I've had on it over the years that, that people shine new light on, on, or, or ways to think about a problem and, and maybe approach it with a different sort of solution that I see, because, you know, sometimes the way I see it, man, somebody wants to flat out ban hunting. I just want to punch him in the mouth, uh, you know, and, and, and that's not the appropriate response here because we all have these different value sets. So I think I've got that hammered out and ironed out in my own mind, but I'm, I, I because I have a complex about my level of writing skills, I keep going back and I, I just don't finish it. I, I, I like, I go back and change it. And then I'm like, okay, in a few days, I'm going to go back to that and I'm going to change it again. And you said you had a solution for that. I'm all ears, man. I'm all ears. Let me hear it. So I was very fortunate that when I started writing Turning Feral, which was my second book, um, a guy named Tucker Max, he's New York Times bestselling author. Uh, He's homesteading. Is he the guy down in Texas? Yep. So he's in Austin. You told me about, yeah. Yeah. But he, he wrote the... The book's called "I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell," and he did, there were a couple oh, things. Oh, yeah, no kidding. 
Yep. So there was a movie, all that stuff. But, you know, he's very much into the off-grid lifestyle now. He's raising cattle. He actually started his own school because his, you know, he has four kids and he just wasn't in tune with the education system like a lot of folks are. You know, like now where yeah. they're processing their own meat as kids in the class. It's great. It's really cool <laughs> awesome. But he was the one who coached me on writing the book because I suffered from the exact same symptom of fear that you were just talking about, which is, you know, as a writer for my entire writing career, it was always, I write something, my perspective changes, or I think about it. And I go back, I'm like, either A, that sucks and I want to edit it or B, like that was actually pretty good. Now I want to polish it. And you just get stuck in this rut. So his advice was, you always make a vomit draft. So whether you're writing a 30,000 page book or 30,000 word book or mm-hmm. a thousand word article, and this is what I've stuck to now and I've just made it a part of my writing every day is I will not go back and edit it until I am done writing. So if I'm writing a thousand word article in the morning and I do these daily devotionals through my Substack, also at Let Me Die Learning, thousand words, 1500 words. I do not edit it until I'm done writing everything. It doesn't matter if I know that I had a spelling error or I completely jumbled something in there from a, a you know, how I wanted to per, you know, convey a topic or a thought. I write it all. And it got so much so that in the book, you know, I was writing around 3000 words a day. It took me about six months to write it all. Yep. Yep. His trick was like, if you're in a Google doc or whatever it is, if you're writing, once you're done with your writing for the day, highlight everything you wrote with the exception of the last half of the last sentence and you highlight it and black it out. And that's what I did. So then I wrote it. It's out there. I black it out. And so all I can see the next day when I go back to that thing is the last half of the last sentence. That way I know. And then I keep going. And it is a full on vomit draft. But like I did not go back and read chapter one until I was all the way done with like chapter 13 at all. And part it was hard because you know, parts of it, you're like, what did I really write there? Am I gonna tie it back? Yeah, how do you tie tie certain things together doing that? Because that's like I'm I'll, I'll write something in chapter one and I'll, it'll say something like more on this in chapter six or, or whatever, you, you know? Yep. And that's fine. And you might miss it. And that's okay. What okay. you want is everything on a paper. It's There's going to be a lot of turd polishing afterwards, <laughs> but you have to have the turd polish. If there's been a lot of turd polishing. So <laughs> that's the story of my life. But Nonetheless, like you have to just get everything out there. And that's been a mechanism that he taught me that has worked well for me because I would get in the same kind of cycle of like write something. I'm like, well, let me go edit it. And if you do that, you're going to get stuck there. So if you can just commit to say, if I'm writing a 14 chapter book, let me write every chapter from start to finish, no jumping around, just vomit it all out. And then you're going to have probably... If you want to have a finished 30,000 word book, you're probably going to have 50,000 by the time you're done with your vomit draft. Yeah. And then after that, you can go through all that ruthless editing, but you at least have everything down. And then you can start to tie things together, go back, flag stuff, leave comments, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Man, that's great advice. 
that's that's actually great advice because you know my my I, I don't know I I do I feel like I love doing the podcast you, you know because I can I can have conversations with with people that intrigue me people like you and and, and um that's always good but I I stutter a lot and I skip around and I mispronounce words and I do all this crazy shit that I didn't even know I did before I started recording a podcast. I didn't know I talked so messed up, man. I, I have a fucking problem. <laughs> but anyway, beside the point, it, it was it was like um, I feel like I can articulate things when I write if I can just focus and get it out there. And and I was kind of teasing little snippets of this book for a while. And so now I have people that are like emailing me They're like, hey, man, where's this book at? Uh, and, and I don't, I don't know. I, I just, I've got to figure out, like, learn more from guys like you and, and just put this thing. Well, together the other being... thing too is, you know, when you talk to Tucker, he's helped a lot of people write books. It's, you know, what's his name again? Tucker Max. Tucker Max. And if you, uh, don't commit to writing every day, especially if you say, I want to write a book. The minimum you need to do every day is 250 words. If you do 250 words, which is like a paragraph and a half every day, again, blacking it out when you're done. Oh, that's easy. Put it on the paper. Yeah. You could have a 30, 40,000 word book in seven months. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's not that long. And for me, like I was writing close to 3,000 words a day when I was doing Turning Feral and it came out much quicker. But yeah, my minimum was 250, and there were days that I only hit 250. You know, call it writer's block, whatever. But it was every day until I had that draft of that manuscript, that turd to polish. Done. Progress was being made. Yeah, every day that makes a lot of sense. And uh, hey, man, sorry, I I shut the video down there. Uh, internet was slowing down, but anyway, um, I think that's really good advice. And, and you know, I could pump out two. Uh, the one thing I'm good at, man, is I can put pen to paper and, and go the problem is is I, I just i question the quality of it and i i'm all over the place so uh and that's why i like talking to guys like you that have actually put a book together and you know it's it's like legitimately good to read <laughs> so anyway well, that came with editing you know that, that was not <laughs> that vomit drafting that you do and i think that's where it's important is recognizing that getting the words out of your head onto a piece of paper quality be damned is the key to actually getting a book done because you can have hundreds of rounds of editors and you can polish it and it can be the tightest most well put together book but until you put those words in whatever form they come out of your brain on to paper it mm -hmm. won't happen i love that i say so you should write some articles uh for Eastman's hunting journals, man. Like I'll bet you that that would be if you send them over to me, I'll send them over to Todd. Todd's the editor, and he's the guy. Like I'll write an article for Eastman's, send it over to him, and he'll take my hillbilly gibberish and make it sound like I'm I'm half intelligent. And um, he without changing what you're saying, you know, he just he just formats it for me, and and I I really like that, and so. Uh, yeah, you'd be that, that'd be an awesome, I, I'll, I'll hit up Reekers and see maybe if there's a topic that would be very specific, you, you would really stand out with, I, I, cause I already have a few of them, um, and get you, get you a, an article in Eastman's cause that, that's a, that's a great place to be. Um, you recently, I know we're kind of getting short on time here, man. So, uh, I want to talk about this wolf. Oh Yeah. 
Let me go back to the Instagram here. I don't know if you posted it there or not. I think so. There should be able to see a skull somewhere. Down yeah, there. I see the skull. There, there's a skull. Whoops. Let me see here. God, he's a big old wolf, man. That's a decent. Exactly. Wolf. It wasn't too big, actually. It was only about seventy pounds. It was a juvenile, but um, it was just kind of jumping right into the story. Oh, man. you're zoomed in on that skull. He looks yeah. like a monster in that picture. That's yeah, awesome. It, it's a cool skull, regardless. I just got done doing my a euro mount for it, but um, did you do not to cut you off? Did you do the euro mount yourself? I did, and that was. I told my wife. That's so cool, man. Because because of what your experience or your background is, it's it's. I love the fact that you did it yourself. Nice yeah. job, dude. Yeah, I did that in my first bear. I tanned myself. You know, I've just been kind of dedicated to at least trying these things once. And I did a euro for a friend with their deer. I had a bunch of marten beaver skulls, and I decided to do them all at once. And it was the worst idea ever. Um, what do you mean? Only, like, how how are you doing your euros? Boiling in a pot over fire, scrambling the brains, trying to get everything out. My pressure washer broke right when I was in the middle of it, and our lines were already frozen. So it was one laughable thing after the next, but finally got <laughs> it done. Um, you know, I cracked the wolf skull a little bit, boiled it too long. Yeah, just all the little things you learn along the way. Um but I told my wife the next time I say I want to do a euro without using beetles to like just groin kick me and tell me no because it was a, a definitely a labor of love for sure. You know, it's it, th- there's an art form like you're writing. There's an art form to it, and it's it's you know, I always put I always put a little bit of dish soap in in the pot when I'm boiling the skull, and I, I yep. don't boil it; I simmer it. It just simmer it. And let, let those brains fall out. Let that membrane kind of peel off a little bit. And you just, you know, slow simmer. And then um, there's this stuff I get. I And I, I go into this um, beauty salon store down in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. It's an hour and a half from me. And they sell, I'll have to pull, I, I don't remember the name of it. But it's like this whitener product. And, and these women, I go into this beauty supply store and they think I'm nuts. But there's always one in there. I'm I'm like, hey, I'm gonna do I'm I'm doing my own Euro mount. And there's always one of the ladies in there that'll be like, Oh, I know exactly what you need. And she grabs it for me. And um, because her husbands are all hunters and shit, you know, they they know what they know what I'm doing. But anyway, I, I do that slow boil, get everything cleaned off, and then you you just take a paintbrush and lightly apply this stuff. And you have to do like four coats, let it dry, do it again, let it dry, do it again. And it, they turn out great. Uh, but the trick to not cracking it, I think, is in the speed of the boil. Um, just a slow, nice simmer. And I'm probably telling you stuff you already know. But No, I, I don't because I, I I was going through cycles of way too much boiling. But I also screwed up because I had bought a two-eye propane stovetop thing to use. Oh, to yeah, yeah. The boil, only to realize once I was up here in Atlanta, again, where it's four hours to the nearest Walmart. Mm-hmm. That I was missing the an adapter, so I couldn't use it. Oh, so shit. I had to get out cinder blocks and wood, and I was doing a wood burn. So like it would go through cycles of like boiling too hot. much, yep, too cold and too hot. So see, and then you get that thermal cold. expansion going if it's if it's hot and then cooling and then hot and it's expanding and contracting, and that's what creates the cracking, right? And so yep. you do want that slow, nice, steady simmer, and and the dish soap. 
helps get that greasy membraney stuff off the skull and you don't ever need the beetles. Um, and, and so that, anyway, that's how I do it. I, it's not the best, best job, but that, that deer you see behind me up on the wall, that's yep. exactly what I did with him and You're all looking. my, all my euros look, uh, that good. They, they look great. And they, uh, once I figured out how to stop breaking the damn nose, you know, um, uh, bone, <laughs> I did that. Uh, they, yeah. I've done it, man. You know what I did that, that little buck, my daughter killed. I, I, I don't, well. She already knows I did it, so I, I don't know why I'm trying to be quiet. That little buck my daughter killed this year. I'm trying to speed. It's colder than a well digger's ass outside, and and I'm just trying to get this thing processed and hung, and and hurrying as fast as I can. And I grab the chainsaw to cut the head off. And I've done this a million times. I'll just you know, there's there's a way to take the head off without a chainsaw. But when you're in a hurry, a good old fashioned husky chainsaw yep. will do the job. And um. Man, that thing kind of clipped back, and I I nicked the top of the antler off, and she's like, "Dad, Dad, Dad, you broke my antler." I'm like, "Oh shit!" Anyway, <laughs> so uh, I got us way off track there, man. The, the wolf. Yeah. Um, this was not a trapped wolf, right? You shot this wolf. Yeah, this was a. Uh... It's interesting because. And I talked about it in the book, right? I, I really pushed on wolf trapping and was not having success. Like they're just so smart. But in that time where I've been out trapping, it is becoming so much more prevalent, like the presence of wolves and their effect on the undulate population, especially now that I'm out there way, way more. Like I see it. We have about five packs that are running around Atlanta and you know, even just this hunting season, we're talking about being overrun with new hunters. Like, you know, the road hunters are interesting, like you said, and you can still get out there and away from stuff and hunt if you want to. But when we were going out there, there was so much wolf sign, so much wolf sign during rifle season. And I had gone out with my bow, you know, the week before and for bear, not for, for elk. When I had a buddy up here hunting, and we went up this area, really remote. No one really goes up there except horse hunters. And we were on foot. And I was probably about two hours behind a pack of wolves, just tons and tons of fresh sign. There was an elk calf kill. And this was before rifle season opened. And I was like, man, that's that's crazy. So so you're and talking like, like October-ish? This was, yes, this was October, right okay. before the, the rifle season opened. And I was just out bear hunting with my bow. And came across all this wolf sign. That next week, I had a buddy flying in from South Carolina who drew a rifle tag for this unit. And I was going to be out helping him on his hunt. And we were out. And I'm like, there's no way those wolves are going to be back in that same area within a 10-day time frame. Usually, they're like on a 30-day circle cycle or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we went out there to, to hunt again. And sure shit, same wolf pack was out there. Or maybe it was a different wolf pack. But there was a juvenile that had that was lagging behind that we got. It was probably two years old, but she was just infected. Um, it was a female. When I got to her, her whole back was putrid. It looked like she had gotten bitten in the back. I don't know if it was from another animal or someone in the pack, but it had bitten it and it had gotten infected. And she wasn't going to last long anyway. So that was the only reason we were able to pick her off and take her back. But ah, good you for know. you, man. Because think about think about all the ungulates you saved by 
taking out that one female wolf who probably would have bred. I, you know, I don't know what the data is on that. I don't know what uh, each particular female wolf and, and bear with me, man, while you're talking, I I'm listening, I'm taking notes. So if I'm looking away, it's because I'm taking notes. Um, anyway, uh, I was, uh, I'm not used to recording on zoom with somebody looking at me. So I usually, I'm just sitting here taking notes with people on the phone. Anyway, you know, you think about that. I, again, I don't know what the data is, but taking out one female wolf, um, is going to like, what will There's they breed a, like seven times or something? I, I don't I know. So. But then like the foundation for wildlife management, there's a lot of great guys that you probably had some of these guys on your podcast, but like Justin Webb. Oh yeah. Russell Just Cooper. Justin's damn near my neighbor, man. Um, and yeah, Justin so, and Jacob Denham, they're, they're two of the most prolific wolf, wolf trappers in all of Idaho. You know, they're, yeah. they're great. And they live right here with me uh, in my neck yeah, of the so, woods. So, you know, they've, they've done a good job and they're great models. So myself and another, you know, trapper here in kind of central southern idaho jd webb like there's so many wolf out here and i'm so remote like i can only do so much um so like he and i are going to be like doing a full-on month or two with you know pack horses and everything this next year to really try to do our part like justin and jacob have done up north here in central idaho to really do some damage on those wolves because right now it's for me it's opportunistic i can get my mm-hmm. traps out maybe get a wolf you know take my rifle out with me along the road you know i might see a wolf might get a shot off um do you have a snow machine i do yeah you but do? i'm also okay. i suck man like the, i the suck at it too <laughs> right that snow machine in like i spend more time trying to like dig myself out than i do uh actually getting I, I don't even room. have one i'm so bad at it because i i i wouldn't even leave the road but um I wonder if there's something we could set up with Justin and Jacob Denham. Uh, again, Jacob Denham and Justin Webb, uh, these two are, these guys are like unsung heroes in North Idaho. Um, the, yeah. These guys are, they are extremely effective. They have saved in the, in the high hundreds of elk and deer uh, with the amount of wolves that they've been able to eliminate from the population. And, you know that management is so important it's not it's it's not a, a you know the goal is an annihilation of wolves the 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 goal is management to get them to these these objective numbers that are sustainable for all species not just so wolves thrive right and so i'm 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 just curious it's important to me that um if you're serious about it that that you you become as effective as you want to be and i'm i'm just curious if there's something i could set up with uh, either just justin or or jacob Maybe get you up here and ride a trap line with them. Um, yeah. I'd go with you. Heck, yeah, let's let's plan it because uh, yeah, you know, myself and JD Webb, who's down here in um, kind of southern Idaho, where we're going to plan. Like he's got a lot of experience in wolf trapping, but you know this area that I'm in, it's just so hard access, even from where I'm at. Like being as remote, like yeah. even getting beyond here. Like I can hear them at night going You're off. Getting up, it's pretty steep country up there, isn't it? Yep, is, is is Rusty is Rusty still is he trapping wolves now pretty heavily? Uh, I don't know about this year. I haven't seen a whole lot from him this year on the trapping wolves. I think he's got a lot going on, but you know, obviously super big proponent and you know, oh, I think yeah, oh yeah, up there he's out there. He's he you know I I I I'm pretty I still stand by this that he is perhaps the 
first Idahoan to trap a wolf. Yep. Uh, and, and, uh, so, so Rusty's a great guy. I haven't, I haven't talked to him in, in a while. I need to, I need to actually get him back on the show, but, um, he actually physically came to the studio a few years ago and recorded in person. So it'd be cool. You and I will have to do that sometime, but, um, uh, I, I love the fact that you're out there doing it and you're pursuing these wolves. Um, you're doing every hunter that's listening to this, a huge service by being out there and, and getting rid of the wolves. Uh, be, and trapping, honestly, uh, you know, it, Zach, it's got to be the most effective way. There, there's a couple of guys that are really good at hunting them. You know, you've gotten one. I've never actually killed a wolf, man. So that'll tell you. I, I can call them in. I can I can get close, but I, I've never killed one. Yep. Uh, so so you got one up on me for sure. Uh, but they're extremely difficult to hunt. Um, but there's a there's a couple of guys, and I, I probably say his name all the time. But the the stuck in the rut guys, Tom Schneider. Uh, and he even has a wolf hunting course, really effective, uh, really good wolf hunter. Uh, but trapping is going to be that thing that is precision and consistent uh, that is going to allow more people to become effective at, at managing these wolves. Um, yep. What's your theory like based on, do you, do you need to go, man? No, I've probably got another five minutes and then I'm going to have to bug okay. out kind of a, uh... We got baby bath time, so it's like a sacred moment in our house. Where oh yeah, no, I hear you. I I don't want to. I don't want to be responsible for, for uh, you know getting in the way of that. So yeah, my, my my wife is ethnically Russian, so we can't make her mad. She's don't make her mad, dude. Thing. I do not want her on my after me. You know because I I just <laughs> I want to make sure she's happy, uh, and and you know in the future advocates for you coming on the Western Huntsman. But um. The, the, I, I want to get your take with like, you've been, you've been doing this for a few years now. You've, you've been up there hunting and living this lifestyle and, and you're involved in your community there in Atlanta. Um, what, what has been your observation from somebody who's come into this lifestyle later in life, but what's been your observation as to the effect that wolves have had on the, on the local, um, wildlife and, and hunting and, uh, the balance of the ecosystem. Well, it's funny, like even just in a few years, I've seen that shift. Like we've just had more packs. Like I'm I'm not sure statistically, like you said, what the reproduction rate is, but they're they're growing and they're not being checked. Like trappers are doing a, the best job. And then you have hunters, but it's still not enough because you're not enough trappers. Most hunters are opportunistic. And even just driving this 80 mile dirt road in the winter, you cannot drive it without coming up on multiple elk carcasses deer carcasses just being chewed up and chewed on because they're just can i ask you something on that when you when you see those carcasses and and you're going past us do you take pictures of those yeah i actually had some in the book so if you crack the book open there's a few of those but i do take pictures of them and can okay or put them on instagram Uh, yeah i i that's what i would say is is i think that you know when it comes to wolves and wolves trapping and all these kind of things awareness is going to be the key and so showing the carnage that wolves leave behind, not in a sense that we're coming at this, that, oh, we want to kill all the wolves and eliminate them. That's not what we're trying to do here. We're just trying to manage them. So there's less carnage. And so I, I don't know if, if you they're, don't they're want to share them, feel, you know, they, yeah, feel free to send not, them to me. I'll post them. <laughs> yeah. I got plenty of them, but that, and then coupled with even last hunting season to this hunting season, um, both here and then where I was bow hunting over in the white clouds in 36A, um, I got busted by wolves for the second year in a row over in the white clouds during our archery season, meaning bulls were bugling 
And then all of a sudden across the ridge, you hear wolves go off. And then the whole next day, you can't get a bull to talk for the life of you. Just shut down, silent. Um, And then here where we were having rifle season, even though obviously they weren't vocal, there were so many wolves and they were just pushing these herds of elk everywhere. And it was almost unmanageable to try to hunt because of the wolf problem. And there was a post, I see, I think Rusty put it up yesterday or the day before where a guy, I don't know him by name. He had done what JD and I are planning to do next year, which he took pack horses out, set up a spike camp. He turned in his elk tag essentially and said, I am only hunting wolves because I've been hunting this unit for my whole life. You're, you're talking about Rusty still? No, Rusty posted about this guy. So if you oh, find gotcha. the Rappers Association, you'll see the guy, but I yeah. think he, he took three wolves or something just this season, wow. but he was out there dedicated. Three is significant, man. Yeah. Uh, th- that's a significant number. Um, and, and just for uh, those of you listening, Rusty Kramer is who we're talking about. He either is or formerly was the president of Idaho Trappers Association. He still is, right? Okay. Yeah, so he's still the president of Idaho Trappers Association. But um, to take three wolves that, that that guy's talking about, like I owe him a 12-pack and and, and more. Um, that's fantastic. And and just the fact that you took one out, uh, that's a big deal. Like I, I don't think that 1% of hunters in Idaho have actually killed a wolf. I, I seriously, I think that that's how low those numbers are. I don't think that there's yeah. even 1% of active Idaho resident tag holders have actually killed a wolf. Um, how big are the packs that you're seeing out there? Are we talking three to five wolves? Are you talking 10 to 15 wolves, 20 plus? It, like, I haven't seen a 20 plus, but most of what I've seen are in that three to five range. But then there are two or three packs that I've seen that are up in that 12 to 15. So it, it varies. And when it comes to the carners that the wolves are leaving behind that you're noticing, you're, are you saying it's mostly elk? Or are there mule deer casualty? You know, like what, what are you seeing down there? Personally, like with my own eyes, it's all been elk. Um, and that might just be happenstance. Like I know deer are being taken too, but um, for me, it's been mostly elk that I've seen being th- ripped up and destroyed. Yeah. The, the, I, I think, and I don't know if this is different from like North Idaho to, to Central and South Idaho, but like the biggest, the, the, it's it's like this tiered, prey species yeah. you know level or whatever and i feel like moose take the biggest hit because you know one moose being taken out of the moose population is a is a bigger bigger percentile than one elk being taken out of the elk population you know so that's why i say uh moose moose seem to get you know kind of hammered by the wolves and then secondly would be the the elk third would be mule deer uh, I've never seen a whitetail taken by by wolves uh and i don't know if that's just because they're Whitetail are just so much more um, evasive in, in from a sense of, yeah, they're just, they're just so much more alert. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain that, but um, well, dude, I, I know you got bath time coming up. Um, that sounded weird so, uh, for the <laughs> listeners. Like uh, th- this is not a weird thing I'm saying. He's got the kiddos. So it's not a weird uh, bath time, what we're talking about, but uh, I don't want to keep you past that and make your wife mad at me, but uh, is there anything else that you want the listeners to know that you're working on that, that kind of in the works coming up kind of thing? Uh, I mean, 
that book's probably a long time out. Uh, your book will be out before that because you're going to hammer down and just vomit everything out. So I'm excited <laughs> for that. We'll see about that. But I do a daily devotional through my Substack, which you can get at through my Instagram. Um, it is also at Let Me Die Learning, but it's just kind of my philosophical musings every day on different topics. But every day has a little bit of a a rewilding action. And I, I just I just pulled that up. So do, does that mean you type your email in and you'll get get the email to you? Yep, every that, day. Okay. I'm going to yep. sign up right now. Awesome. Sorry, um, I didn't. I didn't mean, mean to cut you off there, buddy. No, no, it's perfect. And, and with that, yeah, if you if you're interested in anything pseudo outdoors related, or you're interested in finding out about life outdoors, it's more philosophical. But there are actual steps you can take every day. Just little things like what kind of tools you might need, or you know, equipment you might want to investigate, or you know, fitness programs. Whatever the case is, I write about it. So. Um, check it out. There's, I think tomorrow will be day 50. So yeah, day, cause today you put out, it's, it, it ain't all rainbows and butterflies, uh, day 49, uh, 13 hours ago. So yeah, so, this is cool, man. I'm going to totally geek out on this website. Yeah. And this then, is uh, awesome. I, I didn't know you had all this there. Yeah. It's, uh, there's a lot back in there too, like about self tanning. Like when I tan my own bear, some stuff on euros. Um, so anybody who's curious, if you go way, way back, and then uh, it's also a great way too to be accountable on writing. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to put that up and get the Western Huntsman Substack going on, then you can just put all your writing out there for <laughs> everybody to see. And that's just what I need. Let's add another limb to my tree, brother. I, I know. you know, I'm not busy enough, right? No, let's let's try to finish a book first. And and you're the you're the professional writer out of the two of us. I I promise. <laughs> well, 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 good deal. Uh, Zach, this is always, again, I feel like we can just keep this discussion going for like another hour or two. Uh, I, I, there's a lot more that I want to pick your brain on. So maybe, um, if your wife lets you like maybe this winter, I can get you back on to kind of continue this conversation. Cause I, I, I do feel like we're getting cut a little short here. Uh, there's, there's yep. a lot, there's a lot to both your platform and, and you as a person, um, I think that, uh, you know, you've had for somebody that's new to the whole hunting and trapping game, you've had a lot of success and that's rare. You know, usually it takes people a few years getting their feet yet wet. I'm sorry, uh, to, to get to the level where you're at, where you're already tanning hides, making Euro mounts, writing books about it, you know, all this stuff that you're, uh, you've been successful with. It's an inspiration. Well. So. Um, the secret is to be too dumb to quit. So <laughs> <laughs> that's why that's why you and I get along, man. I just keep ramming my head against the wall, and the podcast downloads just I don't know they keep coming in. I yeah, I'm blown away, but uh, it's it's great stuff, man. I really really uh, appreciate what you do. I I I enjoy the heck out of what you do, um, and it's a pleasure being your buddy, man. I I just I appreciate it all. Well, next time well, let's plan on doing it in person sometime either this winter or this spring, and then we can uh use yeah. over those cokes. You gonna be at the hunt expo in Salt Lake? I'll be there. Yep, I'll have a booth as well. Okay. Uh we'll 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 talk. We'll talk then. Maybe I'll bring the old uh, recording equipment down there. So sounds like a plan. Well, actually, let's let's talk for real after this on that. I have some ideas that we might be able to okay. take advantage of. Sounds good, brother. Well, thanks again for coming on. Stick on the line for just a second here. 
Uh, but everybody listening, Zach Hansen, his Instagram is at Let Me Die Learning. Make sure you check it out and follow him on Instagram. Um, he's brand brand spanking new to Instagram, if you will. Uh, you know, a few months old. So I'd like to see that page really grow because he's got a lot of invaluable information. And if you guys are um, listening to this and have the slightest curiosity in what it means from kind of transforming your life to what what we consider a societal norm into more of this off grid. Uh, self-reliant lifestyle uh, turning feral will absolutely change your life and and it, it, it's a great book so thanks again Zach we'll uh, we'll keep in touch brother alrighty thanks Jim you made it that's the end of the episode thank you so much for tuning in please make sure you're following us on Instagram at the Western Huntsman and write us a good review at Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on.